All right. Good morning. So good to be back with you guys. I definitely missed you all. Hope you guys missed me as much as I missed you. So um, we're going to be in Philippians chapter number four. And for those of you just joining us, we've been going through the book of Philippians, which is a joyful book. And I don't know about you, but in a world of so much stress and anxiety and uncertainty, it's good to have a little joy, man. So today I've entitled the message, How to Stop Worrying. And I don't want to present you a formula, but I want to present you some biblical principles that will help you. And we may never fully overcome the issues and the challenges, but these will give us some principles that will set us on the right direction. Because we all know none of us are perfect, but God does lay out standards that we're to go after. And I don't know about you, but uh, how many of you have been a little stressed out with the elections lately? Anybody? Okay, I think everybody would say they're stressed. And I'm not going to tell you who to vote for or who not to vote for, but I will tell you, you have the right to vote, and I would encourage you to exercise that right and vote your biblical values. That's, that's the only advice I can give you as your pastor is vote, vote, vote your biblical values. Because, you know, the thing is, regardless of who is elected, we need to realize that Jesus is still king. And we realize we live in a world that's passing away. And we're seeking a city that's eternal, that's coming. So this world is not our home permanently. We're going to have a new heaven and a new earth. And there's going to be a king who can't get voted in, nor can he vote, be voted out because he was from all eternity. Amen. So don't let the election stress you because Jesus is still king, no matter who's elected. And everybody said, amen. So I was doing some research on worry. And for those of you who are in the medical field, you know that worry, which leads to stress, is very adverse on the body. And many, many of us have struggled in worry, and I can't remember what the statistics are, but they've said in hospital scenarios, if people could get rid of worry and stress, a good percentage would be discharged from the hospitals. Because stress can kill. Stress worries you. And um, what, what happens is whenever worries and anxieties become ex- excessive, your body triggers stress response. And first of all is the perception of the challenge. You realize that, I don't know if I can handle this. I feel stressed. I feel worried. And then the second response is a physiological reaction called fight or flight. And whenever that kicks in, you have a surge of adrenaline that sets your body on high alert. And what's released when this builds up is hormones called cortisol. And whenever this is built up and your body doesn't use it for fuel, for energy, and it just gets stored up, it can turn into stress. And I've, I, in my research, and for those of you who are in the medical field, you've seen this time and time again with people stress. But here's some symptoms of stress that can happen. It can cause difficulty swallowing, dizziness, dry mouth. Some of you are feeling the symptoms right now, right? Fast, fast heartbeat, fatigue, headaches. Anybody ever had a stress headache? I know I've experienced that. Frontal lobe. Inability to concentrate. Irritability. Some of us are just irritable regardless of stress, but stress can heighten it. Muscle aches. Muscle tension. Nausea. Nervous energy. You ever seen anybody that was just nervous all the time because of stress? Um, Rapid breathing. Shortness of breath. Sweating. Trembling or twitching. And according to medical reports, if this is left unchecked, These factors can compound 
And the simple worrying leading to stress can eventually produce a suppression of the immune system. How many of you have ever been stressed before? Don't raise your hand, but think about it. And eventually you got sick afterwards. Stress can lower the immune system. Digestive disorder, muscle tension, short-term memory loss. Well, that explains a lot to me. Uh, stress can make you forget things. Um, it can even lead to heart disease. So when we think about worrying that leads to stress, the Bible is very practical. It lays a lot of foundations on how not to worry. The good news today, if you are good at worrying, you can turn that around and you can be good at trusting. Because worry is simply thinking about a thought over and over and over again. And trusting in God is putting your trust in God over and over and over again. So if you're a good worrier, you can be a good truster and you can have faith in the Lord. So today we're going to talk about how to turn worry inside out and how to turn your doubts into dreams and how to turn your fears into faith. So let's jump into God's word in Philippians 4. We're going to read this passage and then talk about how we can overcome worry in our life. Paul starts off with rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. And verse 6 says, be anxious for what? Nothing. That's really hard. So if you could, modern translation, don't worry about anything. That's how the New Living translates it. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses, I like the old King James, transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, Meditate on these things, the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Father, as we read and understand your word, help us to apply it to our lives. God, we're here not just for information, but we're here for transformation. I pray that our lives and hearts will be transformed. And for all of us who struggle with worry and anxiety and stress, I pray that you would help us to put into practice several biblical principles that will help us to minimize worry and maximize our trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, if you have your worship guides, we're going to be talking about five simple strategies on how to overcome worry in your life. And as I mentioned, we may not be perfect. Worry sometimes creeps up. But if we will remind ourselves of Philippians 4, 4 through 9, this will really help us. The first thing is this. Focus on that which does not change. Focus on that which does not change. I was reading a story about George Messina. He was one of Napoleon's generals. And all of a sudden, he surrounded this small town, and it was in Austria. There were 18,000 soldiers surrounding this small town. And the town council met together and said, we, we have to surrender. I mean, this is Napoleon. There's no way we can overcome the French. We just got to surrender. And all of a sudden, there was an old pastor in the town that said, you know what, guys, it's Easter in case you have forgotten. Let's just put this situation. I know there's 18,000 troops surrounding us. 
But let's just put the situation in the Lord's hands. Let's have our traditional Easter service. And let's just see what God will do. So whenever they had their Easter service, the old pastor rang the church bells. And the sounding of the bells could be heard throughout the whole town. And all of a sudden, the French soldiers thought that some backup troops had come to attack and help this village not get overtaken by Napoleon and his troops. And before the church bells finished ringing, the 18,000 troops retreated. Can you imagine that this whole town was saved by the ringing of church bells, right? But that's, that's just like it. Whenever we put our trust in anything other than the Lord, it's easy to get discouraged. You notice that Paul says trust in the Lord. He's the one that does not change. He is the unchangeable one. So one, one of the antidotes to worry is to trust in that which does not change. It says trust in the Lord. And it says, again, I'll say rejoice, right? Rejoice in the Lord what? Always. So if you think about it, whenever the presence of God shows up, worry dispels. If you look back at Psalm 23, it says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Whenever God shows up, worry runs away. Um, there's so many scriptures. The Great Commission we quote often in Matthew 28. And it says, you know, make disciples. But then at the very end it says, For I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. So when Paul says rejoice in the Lord, he's saying that whenever God's presence is there, Worry has to go away. Whenever you, have you ever been immersed in the presence of God and you just feel this calm, you feel this peace, and worry is nowhere to be found, stress is nowhere to be found? I really believe the first simple strategy is to focus on that which does not change. It means if you just immerse yourself in God's presence, the worry begins to go away. But Satan wants to keep, keep us out of God's presence. He wants us to realize that you know, you can try it on your own. You can trust in your bank account. You can trust in the stock market. You can trust in all these things. But how many of us know those things fluctuate? Those things change. But when you rejoice in the Lord, he's the unchanging one. He's always with you. If you look on your notes, I put, whenever you focus on yourself, you become depressed. Whenever you focus on the evils of the world, you can feel oppressed. But when you focus on Jesus and his love for you, you can't help but become impressed with his joy. So a lot of the pop psychologists will say, look within. But if Jesus is not within, you're going to get depressed. And if you look without, there's not a whole lot of encouragement either, right? You have to look up. You have to look to the Lord. So focus on that which does not change. Number two, treat everyone with dignity and respect. Look at verse 5. It says, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Have you ever worked for somebody that wasn't very gentle? Was a little rough around the edges? Well, let me give you a story from my days in Texas. And I, I love the Lone Star State. Great people. Um, that picture you're looking at was my swimming pool. And you're like, what? wait a second. Well, I was this poor seminary student had no money, but I had big dreams. And I met this guy who owned this big ranch. It's called the Texas Star Ranch. And we worked out a little arrangement. I was going to be his chaplain. He had all these church groups come in. And in exchange, he was going to let me live in this ranch. And see the next picture. Here was my house. He let me live in a brand new house. 
all for free. All I had to do was preach when he needed me to preach and, you know, be there for the people. Sounds like a pretty good arrangement, right, for a poor seminary student. But what I didn't realize is things that seem to be too good to be true usually are. So in addition to uh, being an on-site chaplain, um, I realized that I was going to have to also host the retreats and be in the kitchen and cook and do a lot of stuff. So my job had more responsibility. So one time we, we had this, this banquet coming of all these church people, and they had this uh, buffet come through. And he advised me, Timothy, put just one piece of meat on the plate. And I looked at the pieces of meat, and they were so small. I'm like, you're chipping these people off. So I stuck in two on some of the plates. And that was a bad move because he saw what I did. And as soon as I went in the kitchen, he let me have it like I've never been chewed out before. And, of course, I did wrong. I admit to that. But the guy was so mean. And gentleness, I mean, just... But he was that way to everybody. And uh, God rest his soul, he's with the Lord now. But the time, I'm like, this is not the way. Even if your employee makes a mistake, uh, you don't need to chew them out and you know use language that's not appropriate. But he was that way with a lot of people. And I found out in my little bubble, I, was, I always worked at pretty good places typically uh, before the car business. <laughs> and um, most people are... You know, pretty nice in my life, and I realize this is the real world. Some of you are nodding your heads like your boss is that way now. If they're in the building, do not look at them. Um, so what does this have to do with stress and anxiety? I want you to read it again. Let your gentleness be known to all men. So if you treat people the way God wants you to treat people, that word gentleness in the Greek, it means calmness or fairness of spirit, to be kind, to be considerate. And then he gives a phrase, the Lord is near, the Lord is at hand. So what Paul's saying is, listen, sometimes the stress in your life, the worry, the anxiety come from bad relationships. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but have ever said something you regretted and it produced tension in a relationship? And every time you saw that person at church or in the grocery store, you had anxiety in your heart. Paul said the solution here is to treat everybody with compassion, with respect, with dignity. So that way when you see them... You can look at them with a smile because you treated them the way you should. And you don't have to go back later and say, I, I'm so sorry, I treated you horribly. And we all fall short in that. And we all say, say things we regret. But notice the phrase, the Lord is at hand. What would happen if we lived our lives as though Jesus could come back today? Would we treat people differently? Would we focus on different things? Uh, when, I, when I think about my time in Texas, which by the way, the rest of the story I ended up moving out of that free place because it wasn't free after all. And um, let's just say I got another place. But kindness is something that's attractive and, and unkindness, no matter how good the situation is. And some of you have experienced this in your work. It doesn't matter how much someone pays you. If they're not treating you right, you'd rather not have the money, right? You'd rather have the respect, the compassion, the considerate. And Paul is saying, if you live your life in such a way that Jesus could come back at any moment, and by the way, he can, uh, we don't know when he's going to come back, but we know he is coming back. And if you live in view of Christ's imminent return, it will change the way you treat people. And when Jesus comes back, you can have this feeling of, you know, God's forgiven me, I'm accepted, but look at all the people I treated well. Treat everybody with gentleness and with respect. Be known as a person who treats others well. How you treat others 
says a lot about how you love God. It's hard to say you love God, but then you treat people hateful. So treat others kindly. So focus on that which doesn't change. Treat others with dignity and respect. And number three, this is a very practical situation. Turn worry inside out. If you look at your outline, verse 6, it says, Be anxious for nothing. So don't worry about anything. Now that, that sounds really hard to do, doesn't it? How can you not worry about anything? How is that even possible? Well, let me give you a little research. Um, um, this one gentleman did research on, he interviewed subjects, and they wrote down all the things that they were worried or anxious about. And they interviewed over them a long period of time, and 85% of the things that they were worried about never happened, 85% of it. And the things that did happen, according to his research, 79% of the people discovered that they could handle the situation better than they thought they could handle it, or they learned an important lesson that they glad, they're glad they went through. So the conclusion is this. 97% of what you worry over is not much more than a fearful mind punishing you with exaggerations and misperceptions. So think about that. 97% of your, what you're worrying about, you shouldn't worry about. But Paul goes to the further extent, don't worry about anything. And it's like, how is that possible? What you need to realize from this text, this is do not be anxious. So anxiety is thinking about something over and over and over again. Whenever you turn anxiety inside out, what Paul is saying is instead of worrying about it, think about it in a different way. Talk to God about it. Because he's the only one that knows the outcome, right? He knows what's going to happen in the future. So instead of worrying and being anxious and letting your mind over and over turn your fear into faith and turn your doubting into dreaming. So here's what this looks like practically. What it looks like practically, and if you look on your outline, there's some application how to overcome this. Whenever worry hits you hard, hit your knees in prayer. Pray. So your first really practical thing on how to turn anxiety inside out is to pray. If you're good at worrying, you can become good at praying. And if Satan sees that every time he throws situations at you, you turn it into a prayer meeting... He may leave you along a little bit less, right? He's like, that person, every time I hit him with something or her, she's turning into a prayer meeting. I'm going to back off a little bit. You know the verse where it says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Resist the devil and he'll what? He'll flee. The second very practical thing is when uncertainty raises its ugly head, focus on the certain promises of God. So you focus on prayer, but then you focus on God's promises. What has God said about your situation? Let's say you're worried about the elections. You're worried about who's going to get elected. Well, if you read the Bible, it says that eventually God's going to come down and he's going to make everything right. So even in the meantime, things aren't what they should be or what we hope for them to be. We're not living for this present age. We're living for the world to come. So even the worst possible scenario, Jesus is still king. He's still got a heavenly home prepared for us who are believers. So we've got to focus on the promises of God. And the third thing is, pick up the phone, pick up the phone, call a friend. A lot of times when we're worried, we worry in isolation, and it helps to have someone to talk to. How many of you have discovered if you talk to someone else who's been through something you've been through, it adds perspective? For those of you who've been through health challenges, you pick up the phone, you call someone else who's been through the same thing, and they say, listen, I made it through, you're going to make it through, and it, it helps you. For those of you who are parents and your kids are going crazy right now. You can pick up the phone. Uh, my wife has this lady in Florida. She's got like 12 kids. So anytime she's like overwhelmed, 
the lady's like, she doesn't say this, but I'm thinking it's a big deal. You got four, I got 12, you know, let me tell you. But she gives her principles of how to do stuff. And my wife follows her advice, uh, and it helps. For those of you who are single and you're like, stress out, will ever meet the one. And you talk to other people who waited a long time, they say, if you'll just wait, if you'll just trust in God, it's kind of bizarre when you're least looking for it, it comes to you. It's kind of like, that doesn't work in anything else in life. Like, you lose your keys, I'm not going to look for it. There they are. But somehow that happens when you're praying for the right one. God sends them when you least expect it. For those of you who are married would say, isn't that true, when you least expect it. So perspective really helps. Let me read you something by Dr. E. Stanley Jones. He wrote this about anxiety and worry and then what God really originally intended. And when we're made new in Christ, listen to this, this is God's intention. He said, I am inwardly fashioned for faith, not for fear. Fear is not my native land. Faith is my native land. I am made so that worry and anxiety are sand in the machinery of life. Faith is the oil. I live by, by faith and confidence. Better that than fear, doubt, and anxiety. In anxiety and worry, my being is grasping for breath. These are not my native air. But in faith and confidence, I breathe freely. These are my native air. And he talked about in a John Hopkins University doctor said, we don't know why. But warriors die sooner than non-warriors. We don't have the medical evidence to know what it is. But um, Dr. Stanley Jones said, I think I know. He says, we are inwardly constructed of nerve and in tissue and brain cell and in soul for faith and not for fear. God made us that way. To live by worry is to live against reality. Now, this is true for the believer. Once God has made you a new person inside, we shouldn't live in the realm of worry and anxiety. And that's why Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Treat everyone with dignity and respect. And then he says, look back at verse 6, be anxious for nothing. So instead of being anxious, turn your anxiety inside out into prayer. Now, in your outline, I want you to circle the word thanksgiving. Now, this, this is beautiful. For those of you who are prayer warriors, this will really encourage you. He's saying that even before God answers the prayer, you thank God in advance. That's praying in faith. So take, take your worst case scenario. You're struggling with your health. You're struggling financially. You're struggling in a relationship. Thank God in advance for his breakthrough. Because the good news, as a Christian, in the end, we know that God's going to make it all right. He doesn't promise to make everything right this side of eternity. But in the end, you're going to be taken care of. So that's, that's good news. Look at the person next to you and say, that's good news. That'll encourage you. In verse 7, and it says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here's, here's the picture here. That word guard, it, it's saying, for those of you who have a military background, it's saying your mind is a battleground so much. That enemy troops are trying to invade. Negativity, unholy thoughts are trying to invade your mind. And it's saying that when you, instead of worrying about it, you pray about it, that word guard, it's the picture of a military sentinel sent to protect your mind. So what was happening here, instead of anxiety penetrating, God's like, my peace is blocking this. My, my holiness is pushing this back. So when you pray and you continue to pray and you keep doing it until you break through and it doesn't happen instantly, sometimes it's a process, God sends his military sentinels in the spiritual realm to guard your mind. And notice... It says, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. That's your emotions 
and your thinking. A lot of people say, well, I just don't feel it. Now, listen, if you acted upon your feelings, you probably would never go to work except on Fridays. You probably uh, wouldn't do a lot of things that you know you should do because feelings change. But it's saying when God's peace is released, his, his peace guards your emotions, your thinking, and your feeling. That's good news. All right, let's move on to the next simple strategy. Number four, dwell upon the positive and not the negative. Many of us seem to have a struggle with having a natural bent toward negativity. Let me read you this newspaper article, and we actually have a picture. It's not the actual dog, but I think it probably looks like the dog. And this was actual newspaper article. It says, lost dog, brown fur, missing some fur due to mange, blind in one eye, deaf, lame due to recent traffic accident, slightly arthritic, and goes by the name Lucky. Now, if you look at that dog, most of you would say that's the ugliest dog I've ever seen, and you would be right. But the dog is blessed to still be alive, right? Accident, missing fur, all this stuff. He's still alive. So you can see it very negative, but the owner called him lucky. He's like, he's blessed to be alive. So your attitude affects so much. And if we look at Philippians 4, 8, this is what I call the great eight of positive thinking. Now, many of you have heard positive thinking and self-help. Nothing wrong with that as long as it's true positive thinking. Uh, the young adult Sunday school class and I, we were talking about you know, self-help and positive thinking. Nothing's wrong as long as it's true biblical positive thinking. Because a lot of the self-help is not biblical. Like self-help tapes, I am good and I am great and I am the best. Is that really biblical? The Bible says you're nothing without Christ. You can do nothing apart from him. But through Christ you can do all things. So here's the biblical positive thinking. If you, wanna, if you want the biblical self-help positive motivation, look at Philippians 4.8. It says, finally, brothers... Whatever is true. Now think about true. Is this real or is this imagined? So many things we fix our minds on are false. They're rumors. I mean, you look at the news station, no matter what station you look at, and it's rumors and gossip and this and that. Is it true? If it's not true, why am I meditating on it? And honestly, I had to ask God to forgive me this because I get caught up just like you do and the latest news report, and it's rumors and gossip, and this part, and it's like, is it true? Is it noble? That means, is it honorable? Is it dignified? Is it worthy of respect? So if this is trash talk, why am I filling my mind with it? It's just going to produce negativity. Is it just? Is it righteous? Does this bring me closer to God? If it doesn't, why am I dwelling on it? Is it pure? Which that, that word alone would eliminate a lot of what we think upon. Is it chaste? Does it inspire all? Does it draw me closer to God? Would I talk to my friend or my spouse about this? If not, why am I thinking about it? Lovely. Is it pleasing, agreeable, friendly? Does this make me smile or frown? If this is negative thinking, why am I dwelling on it? So Philippians 4, it gives you permission to think godly, positive thoughts. Is it of good report? Think about how many times most of our anxiety is produced by fear. You ever think about that? Fear produces anxiety. But whenever you focus on, I'm going to focus on the good report. I'm going to focus that goodness and mercy is pursuing me. I don't want to focus on the bad report. How many times do we focus on what could happen that doesn't happen? The Bible says focus on good report. Is it virtuous? Does this produce godliness? Does this produce excellence, character? Is it praiseworthy? 
Think about how many things we talk about that aren't worthy of anything of praise. So this is the eight great positive godly thinking. So if you want to talk about positive thinking, Philippians 4.8. If we would practice that. So here's the homework. On Monday, practice Philippians 4.8. This, this, this is the homework. All day, ask yourself those eight things. Is it true? Is it noble? Is it just? And what will happen, and I want to hear some reports on Wednesday night, what will happen is your mind will begin to change. Because here's the way it works biblically, and even psychology has affirmed this, that your thoughts affect your feelings, and your feelings affect your behavior. So if you want to change your feelings, you have to change your thinking. So if you will change your thinking, you'll feel differently, and eventually you'll live differently. On your notes, someone once said, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. It all starts with a little thought. So learn to think with positive thoughts. So let's just review before we go to the last one. Focus on that which does not change. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord. Treat everyone with dignity and respect. He said, let your moderation, your gentleness be known to all people. Number three, turn worry inside out. Instead of worrying about it, turn it to God in prayer. And number four, dwell on the positive, not the negative. And finally, this will really help us. Do what you know to be true. Do what you know to be true. Recently, I was reading a story, and some people say it's a tale or a fable. It's been around so long, we don't know, but it it really spoke to me. It's a story of John Blanchard. He was a lieutenant in the, the Army during World War II. And he was in a Florida library reading a book. And he fell in love with the notes, not the pages on the book, but the side notes. And as he was reading this book, whoever was the owner had such lovely, inspiring thoughts. He's like, man, this person has a beautiful heart, a beautiful mind. And as he read through the book, he found out her name was Hollis Maynell. And he decided, you know what, I'm going to look this lady up. And he found that this lady lived in New York City. And he sent her a letter of correspondence. He found out her address. Sounds like a stalker, right? But he found out her address. And he sent her a letter basically saying, I love your thoughts in this book. And it really inspired me. The next day, he was shipped out over to Europe for World War II. And they began to correspond for the next 13 months. And he had never seen her, but he loved her heart and her soul. And one request is they correspond back and forth. He asked for a picture. And Hollis said, listen, if you love my heart, that's all that matters. It shouldn't matter what I look like. True statement, right? Most, most guys would be like, oh, I want a picture. So they corresponded. So he was getting ready to fly from Europe back to America, and they had arrived the setup for the destination. They were going to meet at the Grand Central Station in New York. So the story unfolds. They were meeting at 7 p.m., and he had his uniform already and army attire, and he was ready to meet Miss Hollis. So she said, you will recognize me by the red rose on my lapel. Look for the lady with the red rose. So he's out there. He's got his military uniform all ironed and ready. And he's looking at all the ladies go by looking for red rose. And all of a sudden, this beautiful blonde walks by. And he just like, wow, beautiful blonde curls and eyes as blue as the sky. And she was wearing this pale green dress. And he, without even thinking, started following this lady. And she, with a flirtatious smile, said, going my way, soldier. And before he even realized, he looked down and she was not wearing a red rose. And as she was walking this way, 
Miss Hollis Maynell was sitting there. He saw the red rose, and as he saw her, he was caught in a dilemma. The woman of his dreams was walking by, and the lady that was sitting there with the red rose was not what he expected. And the description of her was, you know, a lady that, let's just say, he wasn't attracted to her at all. And he he was caught, what do I do? Here's the woman of my dreams going by, but here's the woman whose soul and heart I love. So he, he did what few guys would do. He decided to go talk to Miss Hollis May now. And he said, I don't know if this will turn into love. Maybe it'll be a great friendship. So he, as he approached the lady with the red rose, he said, Madam, he, he, he saluted her. He said, uh, I am John, and I would love to take you out to dinner. And the lady looked at him and basically said, um, Sergeant Blanchard, Lieutenant Blanchard, um, I don't know what's going on, but the lady with the pale green dress that just went by. She told me to wear this red rose. I guess it's a test. But she said, if you ask me out for dinner, she's waiting for you at the restaurant across the street. So the rest of the story is history. So the choice is, we all have a choice. You can go with that which is right in front of you that you're used to and is natural. Or you can choose that which is supernatural that which is deeper than the surface level. And when it comes to worry, if we're not careful, we we can choose this because we're used to the land of worry. We're used to anxiety. But look back at verse 9. He says, the things which you have learned. Now that word in the original language, learn, means put into practice habitually. You're doing it over and over again. So what Paul's saying, listen, do what you know to be true. As a Nike slogan says, just do it. So if you know you shouldn't worry, if you know anxiety is bad for your health, If you know this is a hindrance to your Christian walk, Paul says, what you've learned and received and heard and saw me, these do. And notice it says, the God of peace will be with you. So the concluding thought is this. In a few verses previous, we said, it said, the God of peace will guard you like an army, like a sentinel soldier is going to guard your mind against invading troops trying to mess with your mind. It's great to know that the peace of God's with you. But then this verse says, if you put into practice what you know to be true, you will not have just the peace of God, but you'll have God himself, the presence of God. And as we mentioned, one of the greatest antidotes to worry is when God shows up, his presence. So if you're like me and you ever struggle with worry, anxiety, if you struggle with not knowing what to do, here's your take-home truth, and we've got it on the screen here. The only way to stop worry is to turn worry inside out from fear to faith and from doubting to dreaming. So the next time you or I struggle with this, here's your action step. Go over these five simple biblical strategies. Like I said, it's not a formula. It's just some biblical principles that will help you to turn away from worry and turn closer to faith. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks that we have a choice. Whenever we focus on ourselves, we become depressed. When we focus on the evils in the world, we can get oppressed. But God, I thank you that we can focus on you and be impressed with your, with your joy, with your love. And Father, I realize if we want to stay in joy, we have to learn to enjoy Jesus. We have to learn to enjoy him. And Father, I don't have to ask for raised hands for this because I know we're all guilty of this. But God, forgive us for worrying. If the Bible tells us not to be anxious and we do, then... That's something we need to confess to you, that we we struggle and we sin. So, Father, forgive us. And, God, the next time worry knocks on our door, 
Help us to not answer the door. Instead, help us to knock on God's door praying and turning our worry into prayers, turning our anxieties into faith, turning worry inside out. And Father, I pray if there are one here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, they have a lot to worry about. But I pray that today they would realize the only way to have not just the peace of God, but the God of peace inside of them and to invite Jesus into their lives. So right now, right where you're seating, if you've never prayed to receive Christ, it's impossible to have the peace of God. And right now you can receive it if you believe that Jesus died for you, that he rose again and he wants to have a relationship with you. Just say something like this, dear Jesus, I need peace in my life. I realize I don't have peace because I've never invited you into my life. So Jesus, I ask and pray that you would forgive me of my sins. That you would step out of heaven and into my life. Jesus, I make you my Lord and Savior. I turn from my worry. I turn from my sin. I turn from all my struggles. And I turn my life over to you. Fill me and make me new, Jesus. Fill me with the peace of God. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the kingdom. Welcome you to the family of God. Father, help us to turn worry into faith and help us turn our doubting into dreaming, knowing that you have the best days ahead of us. It's in the name of of all names we pray. Amen. This time we're going to have our hymn of invitation. If you'd stand, if you have anything you'd like to pray about, we're here. If you prayed to receive Christ and would like to talk to a pastor, uh, Pastor Adam and I will be at the front. We look forward to seeing you there.